0: Hey everyone, uh, welcome to episode 11 of the Trapidemic podcast. Uh, this episode is with me and uh, Fraser Watts. Uh, Fraser is uh, at the Faculty of Divinity at the University of Cambridge, retired academic. yeah he's the author of all sorts of stuff and uh, he introduces himself better than better than I can introduce him but it's a really good podcast and a, a great conversation um, that we'll definitely have to do again because as it normally happens we didn't really talk too much about actual psychology uh, in terms of you know his research and, and the things he's written about in the past but uh, yeah it was a good one I enjoyed this one I hope you, you enjoy it too um, as normal some updates. I mean we've got I'm hoping to to be videoing these podcasts soon, so we can throw them up on YouTube and maybe you know it gives an opportunity then to reach a, a different audience uh that we've got uh that we've got so far as well. Um, maybe Spotify as well problem is that they introduce they 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 do the ads they can interrupt the podcast with ads and that's annoying. I don't like that. But uh, yeah, com to, uh, if you want to access this stuff, and, and there'll be some other stuff available on that site too, uh, as well as links to, you know, the Patreon to support the podcast if you want to. It will enable me to pay the guests, travel, and stuff like that. But yeah, Fraser Watts, hope you enjoy, uh, as I did. we're in business.
1: Okay, that's
0: good. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, thank you for uh thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure. Um, good to be here with you, Alex. Do you want to uh maybe just give a sort of introduction of who you are to the listeners and
1: I can do that. I'm Fraser, Fraser Watts. I'm a retired academic. Um, um, my academic life really fell into two halves, both psychology, but the first half was really clinical psychology, um, partly teaching at the University of London, a period in the NHS, a period in the Medical Research Council, mainly first on emotional disorders, anxiety, depression, cognitive approaches to them, and had a bit of uh, a career shift and moved into um, psychology of religion, moved into the Faculty of Divinity in Cambridge and was uh, a lecturer there for about 20 years. Um, been retired a few years now um, but still academically quite active the academic stuff um, quite interested in the spiritual side of life been um, 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 uh, quite involved with church things been a priest in the Church of England um, got pretty broad interest interested in parapsychology uh, Rupert Sheldrake is one of my friends that's probably enough about me to start with
0: yeah so you've seen a change in academia
1: yes yes i guess i have though the changes have been intertwined with my shifting from one area to another and uh i mean the first half of my career was really sort of um Uh, as a scientist in a science department and then shifted into a humanities department. And that was a pretty big shift, really. So um, I'd done a scientific PhD myself and supervised quite a number of those. Then when I made my career shift, I found myself supervising humanities-type PhDs, which are completely different, and I hadn't done one. Right. Uh, So that was... That was a pretty big change. Um, I think there's been a change in student culture. I mean, when I was a young academic, I got my first academic post, I think, 1970. It was a period of rapid university expansion. And if you were halfway bright and in the right kind of subject, you could get on very quickly. Um, now, academic opportunities are much harder to come by.
0: Sort of post doctoral or post undergraduate as well and
1: yes um post undergraduate i mean it's it's very difficult to get uh, to get funding for a phd now as i'm sure you know yours, yourself you you have been with yeah. the arrangement here uh, it's an unusual unfortunate arrangement
0: yeah I, I quite like the arrangement here i think it's a good idea mm. uh, it's sort of a good sort of stepping block into academia to be yes. able to teach your research, and then move on into yes. a full
1: time post. And from what I understand, it's a more kind of secure career path in that um, if things go well, you're not just wondering whether anything will turn up after the PhD. There is a track there that you can follow. Yeah, there seems you. to
0: have been. There seems to have been uh, sort of posts that recent PhD graduates move straight into mm-hmm. here, which yes. are, I know is rare. Yes, this doesn't happen everywhere. Yes, but, uh, yes. Why is that? Why? Why is there such? Why is it so difficult to come by posts? Well, it's money. I mean, academia is
1: much shorter of money now than it used to be. Um, so that's that's the main problem. I mean, the um, um, all funding streams I think are tougher to get to get access to it now than they were fifty years ago.
0: Hmm. Yeah is the uh is there an improvement in quality of universities that you've seen
1: not really that i've noticed no i think i think there've always been good universities always less good i mean um, though I'm not aware of any big change it's just a money a financial mm, reason yes that there's less posts so. yeah to go around yes i mean there has there has been quite a bit of expansion of the university sector um so I guess the overall money going into universities has gone up, but because there are more universities, more students, more staff, the money is more thin. It's spread thinner, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's kind of a shame, really, though, isn't it?
1: If there's less posts. Yes, I think it is. It, it is a shame, and uh, there are a lot of very able people who deserve jobs who d- who don't get them, and. Um, um, for quite some time I was leading a research group and it's, and it's very disappointing when you have really able graduate students or postdocs and you have funding for them for a few years on the grant and the funding runs out and they're really good and they deserve a permanent job. but It's just very difficult to get one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think that kind of reflects generally it's difficult to get anything. Yeah. I mean, undergraduate. I mean, I had a uh, m- when I first graduated with my master's degree. Yes. I couldn't finance, and I had to sign on uh, at the job centre. Yes. Job seekers. Yes. And uh, you know, th- they don't read your case file. Mm. They just kind of offer you. So I was offered a catering apprenticeship mm. at college, and uh, I just had to ask you know Have you read? the file that I'm actually looking for a job. I'm not looking for a stopgap or... or mm. I'm not looking to retrain mm. as a cook. Mm. Uh, I'm not looking to retrain as a chef. That wasn't the, the stuff I went into. Yes. It's difficult to find anything. Yes. It's a problem.
1: It's good it's worked out for you. But there was, a, a, a I guess, a difficult patch in between the masters and when you found the post you've got now.
0: Yeah, there was a point where I was thinking, you know, have I just wasted my time mm. with a master's degree mm. or and with the undergraduate when yes. you know I could have got this post that they're offering me without any of those. Yes, yes. You know, but that's a problem that undergraduates go through now, I think. Yeah. So there's a change in... I think students change what they want from the university. They're a little bit more demanding, I think, of the universities. Absolutely. I think introducing student
1: fees has really changed the culture quite significantly, though I've been retired a few years, so it's probably changed more than I've been directly aware of. But um, it does it does make students clients with the kind of expectations yeah. that comes with that. And they, uh, I think there's a new culture of their expecting value for money.
0: Yeah, because it's not about then, you know, coming and learning things. Yes. It's about, you know, what do I get yes. at the end after giving you mm. all of this money? Yes. And I don't blame the students for a second for feeling that way. No but it's difficult to sort of keep them on track on knowing what a university is and what yeah. it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be about learning things and finding what it is that you're interested in. It's not a, you know, it's not a McDegree. It's not like McDonald's where you, yes. you pay this amount of money and you get yeah. this degree and it means you can get this job. But unfortunately, that's the the thing that we get fed. Yes. That's what we've been told growing up.
1: I think there has been a change in that regard. I think... Um, uh, students are more anxious about their prospects now than they were 50 years ago. I think 50 years ago there was a sort of basic assumption that the world was a benign place and if um, and it would probably smile on you some way or other. But I think um, I think this has been a gradual change partly I think associated with the Thatcher years which produced a big sort of general change in national culture I think uh, um, university students are now much more anxious about where it's all leading yeah yeah I think understandably as well
0: yeah the degree is is worth a little bit less yes than I think maybe it was
1: that's right partly because more people have them
0: yeah yeah which is good in a way because it's mean it's meant it's accessible to more people mm, mm. but negative in that then it doesn't mean as much so yeah. employers now you know the, the degree is like having GCSEs yeah. it's the the entry point not the end game
1: um i guess you've in in your own path you've kind of blended the academic career with uh, an
0: alternative
1: career in basketball
0: yeah i've tried to yeah i mean i did both at the same yes, time i guess yes but unfortunately, that's another thing that doesn't reward you financially as it as it should okay. in this country. Yes, but uh, but yeah.
1: But it it must be interesting having had the experience of both of those careers, and I mean they are quite different worlds, I guess, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Uh, being in a university psychology department and in a basketball team, um, and uh, I mean, I'd uh, uh, I'd be I'd be quite interested in how you've experienced those differences. Um, I mean, from previous conversations, I think you're quite committed to self improvement, yeah. and I think probably that works out differently in basketball than
0: academia. It's kind of a given in basketball; you kind of have to have it in sports because yes. that's the whole point. Yeah, is to is to improve and to yeah. be the best that you can.
1: And um, every game, people can kind of see how good you are. Yeah, there's a, there's a uh, test uh, every uh, single time. Yeah. And, the, and that sort of regular and very public feedback yeah, on, yeah. The, on how you're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's less of that feedback, I guess, in academia. Unless so, you're... I mean, I mean, if you're publishing a lot, I'm sure you get that. Mm,
1: yes. But um, I think a lot, of, a lot of PhD students find the three years or more of a PhD really quite a long time. And you sort of start out with some initial energy and enthusiasm, and as you get to the finishing post, you feel some more incentive to to get over the finishing line. Mm. But in between, it's very easy to lose direction. I think. Yeah,
0: I can imagine. I felt I felt my focus is getting a little bit better the more I progress, Mm. because. I mean, I start out with this massive blank canvas, mm. and not really knowing where to start or how yes. to start filling it. Yes. And then now I kind of know what needs to go where, and now it's just a matter of sort of trying to actually do it. Yes. And make sure yes. it's good. Which I, so I think, but then maybe you know as I progress towards the end, mm. it might be just trying to get rid of this now, get it out yes. of the way, get yes. it, yes. get it done. But I've got that to come.
1: Um, in a way, the first part of a PhD is the most creative part. I think when you're sort of fig- figuring out what you want to do, yeah, and how to do it.
0: Yeah, it's it's good. It's an enjoyable. It's a lot of work, but it's enjoyable mm. as a process. I think I quite I quite like it. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it is it is a. It's not a short-term no. commitment no. at all. So no. it's a long time. It's a lot of years. Mm. And that's and again with the, you know, the university, the degree being a product Mm. now, not just an achievement. Yes, you're paying for a degree. Mm. Uh, You know, the do the the costs of the PhD of not being able to earn as much as perhaps you should. Mm. Does that outweigh the benefit? And maybe it doesn't. Does yeah,
1: and. um, I think academia is becoming less attractive as a career. I mean, it's still intellectually interesting, but um, uh, over the time I've been um, in academia, the sort of um, uh, the pay has slipped. I think in comparison to other jobs, mm-hmm. uh, and the pensions are now under threat. So um, I think financially, it's becoming a less attractive career than it used to be.
0: Yeah, isn't there a general sort of? Hasn't it always been that way, though?
1: It's always been somewhat that way, but a general sort of, yes, uh, Low
0: pay can when you take in, I don't know, uh, intelligence into account or whatever. Yes,
1: yes. I think it has al- always been that way to to some extent, but I think, uh, um, I think over the last what. Eighty years has probably been quite a change, really. I mean, there used to be a lot fewer academics, and I think they were relatively well paid.
0: So again, it's the same amount of money, sort of spread yes. out over more people. Yes, that's right. Kind of a thing, which yes. is fine. Yes, you know, if universities yeah. are growing. I mean, Northampton's moving to a giant new campus. Is going to mm. need new staff and. Yes. Uh, yeah, the league tables determine.
1: And 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 there's certainly been a big change in the pressure to publish as well. I mean, um, there have always been some people who've published a lot, but um, it used not to be essential. Oh, okay. And um, what was really important was how well your fellow, fellow academics regarded you. And I think there always used to be some people who were uh, com- it completely accepted as real experts in their field and everyone knew that and respected the expertise and they didn't care that much whether they published or not
0: it was more of a community thing yes Whereas yes. now there's more of a i mean there's the public intellectual yes that idea now which mm-hmm. uh, i think a lot of academics actually shy away from yes
1: I think so, and it's a difficult role being a public intellectual, and it's quite exposed, and you're sort yeah. of operating on a very broad
0: canvas. You and, have to be uh, willing to be wrong. I yes, think. It, yes, you do, yeah. and to chance your arm. Because you're going to say wrong things, yes. and you have to be able to deal with it when someone who is an expert in that thing that you perhaps overstepped yes, is going to call you on that.
1: And uh, I think Britain's actually quite short of public intellectuals at the moment a shortage of people who are willing to chance their arm at being public intellectuals and know enough to be able to bring it off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, yeah, I, I wonder why academics shy away from it so much. Journalists mm-hmm. don't tend to shy away. Yes, yes. There's a lot of public intellectuals that are, are former journalists. Yes, that's right. But, uh, yeah, American academics probably are, are better. Yes. Like I mean, there's, but there's Brian Cox from mm. physics. Mm. Yes. He's a very public intellectual with the BBC. Yes. And uh yeah, he's outspoken and he'll say things that other scientists disagree with and yes. but he's willing to do that. Willing yes. to step out. Yes. Yeah.
1: I think the public intellectual I know best not I know him hugely well is uh Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, now in Cambridge master of a Cambridge college. And um I've always been impressed at the uh, the huge number of subjects where he's obviously read quite widely and yeah. knows what the score is and has sensible opinions about it. That's, and the, is
0: that's the difficulty, isn't it? Not being... I mean, you're an expert in something, but you have to be quite well-read and broad. Yes, that's right. Because otherwise you're going to trip up and say something that's...
1: So economics is a million miles away from his core expertise, but he does basically know what the score is in economics. I think I think that's an incredible achievement, actually, in a busy life, to find enough reading time to keep on top of a broad swathe of literature in many subjects. So you can you can say sensible things about them.
0: Yeah, see, I, I use podcasts for that as well. So I yeah. listen to a lot of podcasts because I like to listen to people who... Not necessarily passion about something, yeah, but just it can be knowledge or passion about anything, even something mm. that I have absolutely no care or desire towards. Yes, like I've listened to archery podcasts mm. just because it's two people. I've never shot an arrow in my life, yes, but just because it's two people that are passionate about archery and mm. know what they're talking mm. about, and there's something about that that I just like to listen to. Yes. So I use podcasts to get this to try and get a broad opinion of things. It doesn't mm. always work, okay. <laughs> but. But I'm wondering how you fit that into your into your crowded
1: life. Do you do that while you're working out or something else? Yeah, so
0: working out and driving. And yes. So okay. while I'm going to and from things. Or yes. That, um, it's difficult to listen to a podcast while I'm trying to write because the words interfere. Yes, with of, what of, I'm course, to do. of course. But, um, but if I'm doing other things, if I'm doing like, the other academic tasks yes. like registers and that yes. kind of stuff, then I'll listen to podcasts then.
1: It's really difficult processing two streams of words at the same time yeah
0: I, I can't do that very well Some people can do that fine, but I end up yes. writing what I'm listening to
1: yes <laughs> i have uh, i I have fond memories of uh, one of the lecturers I, I listened to regularly as an undergraduate and he had a, he um it was kind of before the era of handouts and overheads and PowerPoint and things mm-hmm. and uh, um, he used to write a summary of his lecture up on the blackboard while he was delivering it. And, okay, and, wow. and and so um, there were quite often two unconnected streams of sort of verbal out, out, output. He was talking, delivering his lecture, yeah. at the same time he was writing a summary of the lecture up on the blackboard, and the two streams of words often didn't actually connect at the moment. Yeah. See, that's impressive. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, think, I think we students developed uh, a way of doing the same kind of thing. So we kind of copied down what he was writing on the blackboard with a little bit of our cognitive space while
0: mainly listening to what he was saying. Yeah, I was just thinking that's kind of like note taking, isn't it? Yes. But he's sort of doing that live. Yes, in front of however many people.
1: I thought I thought it was really impressive that he he could both write up a summary of his lecture and deliver it at the same time. Yeah, that's. He was cool. a bright guy.
0: Yeah. We've got disk space problems. on oh, there we go. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I use podcasts for that, uh, just because it, I can do other things. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so I, I use podcasts to try and get abroad. And the other thing is, then you're not in that bubble you're not in that media bubble Mm. because with the the way the algorithms are on the internet Facebook and the social media platforms will only show you the things that you're going to like Mm. because essentially they make money from advertising space Mm. so they make money Mm. the longer you spend on the app or the longer you spend on the site Mm. so they'll only show you things that you're prone to agree with anyway Mm. so you know if you're pro-Trump you're going to have a lot of Sort of Republican right-wing things come up mm. uh, because that's that's the audience. And if you're anti-Trump, you're going to have a lot of the the left liberal stuff come up. So you yes. get stuck in a bubble unless you listen to or you actively. Yes. Thankful here with the BBC, yes, that it's supposed to be somewhat in the middle. Mm. But the US doesn't quite have that. They have CNN on the left and. Uh, Fox on the right. Yes. So you're kind of stuck in your media bubble.
1: Yeah.
0: It'll be interesting to see where the Facebook
1: troubles end up, but I think uh, um, it it might lead to a major rethink about how we use the internet and how that um, sort of distorts
0: what we get access to. Yeah. Well, there's big Facebook troubles now with this country as well, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That's with right. the uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yes. Yes. Based in London.
1: Yeah
0: um i don't really know too much about that. I just know there's a a trial at some point
1: yes, so it's it seems as though they have been sort of um harvesting information about a huge number of people off Facebook and exploiting a kind of loophole which was actually there, so what they've done isn't illegal um no. but uh, but uh, but they um got people to fill out. What purported to be an academic questionnaire as part of a research project, um, which um, gave them access to information, and I think there's something else about um, they could um, give access to their friends' Facebook information as well as their own.
0: So they're doing something that advertisers use, yes, to sell products, but they're they're not using it for that.
1: Yes, yes. So, so I mean, the, there's um, a dishonor on it. Um, a dishonesty in that um, um, their cover story about why they're uh, engaging with people to do the questionnaire is uh, isn't transparent about what they're doing with the data. Right. Okay. Then Which that's what they'll be in trouble for. I'd, I I th- I think so, but it's not clear that it's that what they've done is illegal. I think it still isn't clear. It's just that now everyone realises they think it's a
0: bad idea, and if it's not illegal, it should be. Yeah, I think that and the meddling in political campaigns and meddling for elections i mean that's nothing new yes it's only new in terms of it being on the internet but propaganda to to get somebody else in office is not new that's been happening forever
1: yes and there's a big issue now obviously about how to stop the russians meddling in western elections
0: yeah it's quite fascinating the way they do it though it's quite clever the Mm. the farms Mm. I mean they're basically people underemployed to be on Twitter or Facebook all day Mm. making posts pro-Trump or anti-Trump or anti-Hillary or pro-Hillary whichever way they want to swing it uh, to do that and the same I mean it makes you think then about the Brexit vote you know was the same happening the Brexit vote Yes. anti-immigration stuff yes what was the agenda yes you know who how many people honestly sort of fell victim to what is fake fake bots and stuff.
1: Absolutely, and Brexit has been a hugely divisive thing in Britain. I think um, Britain has never been so divided in my lifetime mm. as it has uh, during and since the Brexit
0: vote. I mean, there is a kind of civil war going on that there wasn't before. And Twitter only makes that worse because yeah. now everyone can talk to everybody yeah. and call each other names anonymously. Yes. yes. So it kind of gets a little bit childish and immature. Yeah. Twitter sometimes plus you're limited to characters which is a good thing because then you can't waffle on mm. but it's negative because you just, people are just being rude yes. they say things on Twitter and you'd never ever say if you were sat with the person yes which is a massive problem
1: I'm against Brexit just to be transparent about where I stand. Uh, I mean, uh, it just uh, does seem to me so stupid and almost certainly is going to make most of the people who voted for it much worse off than they were before.
0: I've heard that that point a lot, that people that voted to leave perhaps weren't sure exactly what they're voting for.
1: That's certainly true. So in a way, it was an artificial coalition that um, I think the people who voted Remain, we all knew what we were voting for. Mm-hmm. and the same thing. Uh, the people who were voting for leave, some of them really didn't have any well-worked-out idea of what they were voting for. Or in as far as they did, they were completely different versions of leaving. And there was also a fantasy scenario of what um, leaving might be, that we could come out of the EU but go on trading with them just exactly as we could before. I think I think that fantasy
0: version of um, Brexit was widely believed. Do you think it was more about Immigration than about anything else, than about trade and EU law?
1: Yeah, that, Yes, um, um, immigration and nationalism, national yeah. identity.
0: Populist ideas. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's one of the interesting things about uh, the last um, decade or so, this sort of upsurge of hunger for national identity. And it seems to be the flip side of globalisation mm-hmm. that... Um, There are economic pressures that are forcing us all into increasing globalization but people really don't like the surrender of um, identity with their own kith and kin that that involves so were they, and the, and the further globalization goes, the more people want some kind of uh, strong national identity to counterbalance it yeah and we haven 't figured out how to do both of these things, but obviously we have to do both because people want them both and they 're not going to settle for just one or the other
0: yeah the worry the worrying thing for me is the sort of the increase in racial aggravated attacks Mm. or, you know, Islamophobic attacks Mm. or whatever, following that vote. Very much sort of the go-home attacks, those kind of things. And that kind of then leads me to think that, like, the whole Brexit campaign and the whole sort of nationalism ideal behind some people's reasons to vote to leave is actually racism. Racism just cloaked as yes. nationalism.
1: Yes, I think that's right, and there are there are different kinds of nationalism. I, I think there can be a strong, confident nationalism that has a strong sense of your own identity, but is interested in other people's different identities as well, and can be welcoming of that from a a, um, a position of strength. But I think if you're if you're feeling that you're under threat. Uh, your identity, your jobs, everything is under threat. You can't be hospitable to people from other cultures.
0: Yeah, and that's and that and that's another argument I've heard as well that the economics, being the way they are, particularly in the north, mm. Mm. the north of England, then uh, it's going to lead to nationalism and it's yes. going to lead to some yes. anti-immigration, because there's literally, I mean, it's almost hopeless. You go to most places, the high street has two shops yes. that are open. Yes. So I mean, looking back, back
1: I think we've mismanaged uh, immigration very badly, and um, uh, um, uh, we we needed to work harder at um, integration of immigrants. I think rather than allowing some some um, localities to be completely taken over by immigrants in a way that um, led to resentment from people who'd lived there before
0: so more of a integration of all societies and cultures and yes everyone understanding because i mean children children aren't racist and children aren't afraid of other cultures that comes from elsewhere yes children don't have those feelings they sort of if your friend is a muslim you're less likely to dislike
1: muslims but I think in some parts of England we've ended up with a kind of de facto apartheid I mean, not that there's any legislation to buttress it, but in terms of how housing's distributed, there is a de right. facto apartheid
0: based on racial lines or cultural
1: um part- partly racial also also i think um economic class really and uh um, I think it's one of the main economic dividers in the country at the moment. Sort of what housing you're in. Yeah. Um, um, people people um, have reasonable access to consumer goods wherever they are. I mean, TV, computer, car. These are now fairly widely distributed yeah. right across the economic spectrum. But uh, but there are some. Uh, pockets of housing where if you're living there it's very difficult to get out
0: yeah because there's things that are i mean those things aren't essential necessarily mm. Mm. but there are things that are essential that are far more expensive than in other countries perhaps yes. where they don't have a class issue yes so the states doesn't really have a class issue mm. so much it has a Money class and are not having money class, yep. and they have a lot of racial issues, but their class issue. I mean, the cost of living in terms of food is cheap. Yes, in the states, much cheaper than here. Anyway, cheaper yep. in comparison. Mm. So, if you're from a lower economic background here, the amount of money you have to spend on things that you need, the mm. essentials, so energy for one, we've got a monopoly on the energy uh, companies, epi- energy providing, and food, food and fruit and vegetables and all of that stuff. Uh, the amount you have to spend is is very difficult to get out. So you yes. y- you have access to mm. these mm. to these you know and and you can uh, the government can use that to say you know there's no class system anymore in, yes. in this country to yes. say but look these these people can get TVs and get cars and get yeah. but what they, they can't do is afford food so you're yes. keeping them poor yes, yes. by yes. things that you can control um and they can't afford
1: to um to change location. Like that. I mean, I think that's the most difficult thing to change. Uh, we both have a Coventry background, and I know you spent some Woodend, and I think Wood, yeah. Woodend is a classic place, it's
0: difficult to get out it's, of there. Yeah, it's difficult to get out of there. Yes. And and it's the same with a lot of Londoners. Yeah. It would be like, you know, if you can't afford to live in London, then leave. Mm. Well, you can't afford to leave. You you need like a two thousand pound deposit on a mm. house. Where are you getting that? Mm. And that's just for rent. You know you yeah. can't afford to not live in London as well. Yes. And yes. If that's where you work, you. Yes. G- jobs are hard to come by. You have to yeah. keep that job. Yes. You can't afford to leave, so yeah. you're stuck mm. in a situation. You're not. Mm. We don't have as much social mobility as we're mm. told we do. We can't mm. transcend classes very much. Yeah. I've never been interested in transcending a class. I don't mm. care if I'm still working class for the rest of my life. Mm. That's the way it is. Mm. But um, I, I don't. It's not fair to not credit people on merit no. and hard work, no. just to credit them on where they've come from or, yes. or whatever. Yes. And I think in my lifetime
1: Britain has improved in that. Yeah. i th- I think it. Uh, I I, th- I think we're more of a meritocracy than we were. When I was born in the post war baby bulge forty yeah. six I was born.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have gone to university then. No. I'd have been no. in the war, most yes. likely. I yes. <laughs> <laughs> would have been where I was. But um yeah, I wouldn't have been able to go to university. So on some level there is, but sort of if you look at the top of pretty much every profession mm. there's a they're connected in, in, in some way. Mm. They they all know mutual people and yes. it's not through merit. Yes. Whereas the idea of America is, it's supposed to be through merit, you can just be good at something. Yes.
1: Um,
0: I've always I've always
1: been attracted by the idea of mixing across normal boundaries, sort of um, mixing with um, people of different social backgrounds, different ages, um, um, not being pigeonholed into just mixing with people of my own kind.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you you learn how the world works. Mm. I mean, otherwise you're trapped in that bubble. Yes. Again, you're only listening to opinions that you share. Mm. Yes. You know, you're never proven wrong or you're never enlightened on anything. That's right.
1: And you don't get any real insight into what life is like for people in more difficult circumstances. Yeah.
0: If you want to... I mean, but that's the the, the slate on the Conservative Party forever, isn't Mm. it? That they've been Mm. out of touch. Mm. You know, if you never talk to young people, you never know. Uh, what it's like for them yes. growing up, and if you yes. never talk to older people, you never know what it's like for them. Yes. If you never talk to rich, you never know. You never talk to poor, you'll never mm. know. Mm. You've got to kind of spread yourself over. Yes,
1: and I think I think in that the Conservative Party is more monochrome than the Labour Party is. I, I mean, the Labour Party has always had quite a mix of people with different educational and occupational backgrounds. Yeah.
0: More so than conservatives. Yes, definitely. I think so. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a big. I mean, with Reese Mogg in the Conservative Party at the minute, that's kind of a throwback to before I was born. Conservative Party. Yes, and yes, that's that's worrying because I've heard his name being banded about as future leadership and.
1: There are certainly some people, and the Conservative Party would like him to be leader, but it, I think it's not going to happen, uh, and there's no chance of his winning an election.
0: I that would, think. yeah, no, that would undo the, everything that David Cameron was uh, for the Conservative Party, wouldn't right.
1: it? I, I guess. So, so um, um, it, it's it's a kind of throwback to the Alec Douglas-Hume era, yeah. and, um, Long, long before your time, um, the Earl of Hume, as he was, until he renounced
0: his peerage and became Prime Minister. Uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a move forward. No. It's sort of and that's a nationalism thing, isn't it? But yes.
1: But it, but um it 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 can work out differently with different people as um Tony Benn also renounced his uh, his peerage. Right. And um he uh um and I think he um though though he came from a privileged background, he he uh, always enjoyed mixing with a wide range of people and had much more egalitarian views. I think he wasn't as out of touch as Alec Douglas yeah, was.
0: I I mean the government should be should have uh people from a well-off background, because yes. those people exist. Mm. So mm. it should reflect the people that are mm. in the country. If mm. the whole country is poor, then your representatives should yes. also be yes. from that background. Yes, But there are people that aren't from that background, so in order f- to be a representative government, mm. and that, as a younger person, is the reason people have completely, f- just don't care, they're just completely disconnected from mm. politicians, because mm. there's no connection. Mm. And Jeremy Corbyn speaks to a lot of people to be slightly more like them, mm. uh, particularly the younger generation and a generation of people who just have never engaged with politics because mm. mm. uh, they don't represent us in any way. Mm. They don't hold the same opinions. Yes. It's an archaic system. I don't know why. why do I have to take time out of my day to go and vote. Why can't that be done online? Yes. I can bank mm. online, so yes. it must be safe enough to do that. Mm. If you can control all of my money online, it has to be safe enough to vote or to do something. I I mean, we can vote on. I mean, I think I think it was Sweden that tried it, um, sort of doing like a referendum on every little bill Mm. individually, Mm. rather than you know I vote for this person who's going to go. Mm. I mean, it it comes from the times of you know you get the one person in your village that could read Mm. to go and be the MP Mm. so that one person that's anywhere near you that can read is intelligent Mm. enough Mm. can go and represent the village Mm. or represent the Mm. town or whatever Mm. uh, with all the big wigs Mm. we don't need to do that anymore we can all read Mm. and we can all I can actively give my opinion Mm. I can actively pick yes or no Mm. leave or remain Mm. whatever on this bill legalize Mm. or don't legalize I can actively choose those things I don't need to have a representative because mm. it's not going to represent me. That's a big I just don't understand why we're still we're still having MPs the way we are.
1: Um
0: I think I think the Brexit referendum
1: doesn't inspire me with confidence in the referendum system. No.
0: No. But at the end of the day that's what the country asked for.
1: Yes, it it is but it's not Clear what they are asking for, and the people who voted leave. It's, it not, it's not informed, all sorts of different things. But it
0: not being informed is not a problem with the system of asking people to vote mm. on everything. Yes, okay. Them not being informed to me would is a problem with information. Mm. Mm. So I don't think anybody was really informed. No, no. And if you're not informed, remain would have been the vote to go for because mm. it's status quo, it's staying yeah. where we are. Yes. Uh, And leave was, I mean, there wasn't... I didn't see any any account of what would happen or what it would look like Uh, or... um, But I think think it's not just a problem about
1: information as there was actually sort of quite a bit of expert advice, I think, for the sort of uh, world economic organisations and that kind of thing. I mean, it's not that there wasn't any expert advice, but there was a headstrong mood in which people wanted just to ignore... The advice of experts,
0: right? Yeah, there's an anti-expert. Yes, thing. yes. Yeah, that's a problem. But again, that I think that comes from people being disenfranchised. Mm. Yes. So they're disenfranchised with politics as a whole, and that here is this movement that says they're going to fix everything around them. That's the "Make America Great Again" thing. It's nationalism, mm. Mm. populism. You know, uh, you know, we're going to fix the problems for you, the working man. And even if it's ridiculous, as much as Trump is, you know, he's a billionaire that says he's not an elite class. He's mm. going to do it for the mm. working man, mm. which makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. But mm. because you know, it's I'm going to fix these problems you have. Someone's finally addressing us, yes. So they get our vote, or yes. whatever it is. And I think the same thing happened with with Leave. It was yeah. based on immigration. It was the North has no money, no mm. jobs, mm. so we'll fix it. We're, d- we're it's
1: important to try and heal divisions in society I think if you have a divided society no system is going to work well Mm -hmm. whether it's referendums or parliamentary Mm -hmm. democracy or whatever Um, if people are sort of pitted against each other and feel that the only way uh, to advance their own interests is to do that and other people then no system is going to fix that well I think so Um, um, the priority for me would be to try to find ways to work for a more integrated society in which people understand each other better, see each other's points of view. But that doesn't happen, does it? Um, it it doesn't happen, and we're moving in the wrong direction at the moment, but... Um, it's um, it's 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 a complex business. I mean, uh, I th- I think seeing other people's points of view is is crucial, and and it's, it's a point where psychology has got some contribution to make. I think it's mm-hmm. it's kind of perspective taking. Um, it's 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 a cognitive skill, but it's not. Um, t- it's, it's not completely intelligence. I mean, you can, you can see other people's points of view without having a massively high mm-hmm. general in, intelligence. It seems to depend on stress as much as anything else. That if, uh, if, if people are stressed, then that cognitive skill that in the right circumstances they have at their disposal, the skill to see how the world looks from someone else's point of view, that, that just gets um, sidelined
0: yeah so when the economics are bad you yes i mean you have to focus on yourself yes so you don't know where the next meal's coming from yeah. or how to keep your lights on that's right yeah that but that's what worries me about you know they're not being able to listen to other people's points of view and exchange mm. of ideas mm. which is the university is supposed mm. to be that marketplace mm. for ideas mm. that's what worries me about speakers being banned from universities mm. um whoever they are mm. unless it's unless it is hate speech yes um but speakers being banned from universities because they disagree with something yes i think the 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 way to counteract a bad idea is with a better one not by shutting it up or i completely agree i'm i'm quite worried by the um i mean in america that's a big problem now
1: yes yes quite worried by the trend to ban people from the university because you don't want to hear their views
0: yeah, I think if you don't want to hear if you don't like their views, mm. you can hear them and not take them on board. Yes. Or you can hear them and counteract yes. them. Yes. Or educate yes. rather than yes sort of dictate. It's
1: it's um it it's a difficult one isn't it and uh I think there are some positions like sort of incitement to racial hatred that yeah. I'm I'm reluctant to Allowed to happen?
0: Yeah. But no, I think that's right too. I think yes. you know anything that is hate speech, anything that is inciting violence or inciting racial hatred, mm. those things continue to to yes. shut down yes. those people. Continue yes. to shut down those people, um, and the university shouldn't be having them in anyway. Yes. But, and, uh, and, uh, but i, yeah.
1: I think it's best if we do this by legislation do we have legislation that makes the extreme things illegal but then i'm not keen on the other institutions go, going much beyond
0: that yeah the problem is then is, is that now what's happening is you know particularly in the states um people who i mean ben ben shapiro is it ben shapiro who's being called a nazi Mm. even though he's a he wears a yarmulke he's a Mm. he's a Jewish man Mm. I think it's Ben Shapiro but uh you know throwing out words you know throwing out the words like bigger and racist Mm. and Nazi Mm. and Mm. problem Mm. is then is if you're calling everybody a Nazi for refusing to use 72 Mm. gender pronouns Mm. Mm. uh, then you don't have a word for the real Nazis which was a problem in Charlottesville yes when Mm. those are actual white supremacists Mm. we now don't have a word for those Mm. because You've called someone who who uses uh, Caitlyn Jenner and, and uses the wrong pronoun. Mm. You've called them a mm. Nazi. Mm.
1: You
0: know, you've you've wasted the word. We need mm. that word. It's an mm. important word. We need to have mm. that word to retain mm. its meaning, so we can mm. use it on people mm. that really need that label. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, if it's if we can legislate against hate speech and those extreme things, in inciting hatred mm. and racial mm. uh, violence and stuff like that we have to be careful with what we label as those things Mm. but again that talk isn't going on is it Mm. no one's actually talking it's kind of shouting over each other yes that's right yes and it and it's it's very
1: difficult when people have got entrenched and polarized to find ways of getting them to listen to each other um and uh, and that works best in
0: quite small groups i think yeah Um, Something like 8 to 12. Yeah. But it's perfect for universities. Mm, yes. It's perfect for academia to solve that yes. issue. Problem yes. is is it if that? those problems have arisen in the universities. Yes. In the state. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it here mm. in Northampton. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it at other universities uh, in this country so much. But definitely, in, it definitely happens in America. There was the yes. problem with Evergreen College. And there's, it's happened yeah. at Berkeley. It's happened... Yes. Yes. All over the place. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's. I've not seen it here. I don't know if. Have yeah. you seen much, much of that kind of social justice stuff here? Um. I think. I
1: think I'm. I'm a bit too out of touch yeah, okay. and determined to have noticed
0: it. Yeah. Um. I haven't seen much. What I've seen from from English universities, in my opinion, is just you know. The, yeah. All the just good stuff. Yes. You know, the equality. The. Uh, speaking about racial differences mm. and understanding racism and historical mm. perspectives mm. to all of these things and actual education and a, a mm. still a marketplace of ideas where mm. two conflicting ideas can go into a room mm. and either the best one comes out or they both come out and everything's civil yes yes it never gets to unrest but in america at the minute it's, it's even the 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 tolerant movement is mm. intolerant mm. of certain people mm. which is scary it it is and and it's very
1: easy to get um intolerant in the name of tolerance. I mean yeah, alarming alarmingly yeah. easy and so difficult to break these these barriers down. Um I had a friend um older than me, now, now dead, who in, in, in his retirement for quite a few years operated a kind of small conference center and um mainly at the weekends would gather together 8 to 12 people who had sharply opposing views on some crucial issue and use his enormous charm to get them to listen to each other and to uh, understand each other. That
0: would probably be the way forward. Yes. I
1: think. It was a heroic kind of work. I yeah, think and, yeah. and not a lot of people could pull that off. Well, yeah, it
0: could go horribly wrong. Yes. You could make things <laughs> 10 times worse. Um but yeah I think you know it's very British to be able to do that I think. Yes. Yes. To be civil. Yes. Even though a disagreement is happening. Yeah. Yes. Um but yeah it's, it's it's worrying. So
1: I think we ne- I ne- think we need more such efforts like that going on quietly.
0: Yeah. I, again that's why people are excited by Corbyn because mm. now they can be involved in that kind of conversation whereas before mm. they didn't believe there was a representative mm. so those mm. opinions were just never heard mm. that were just kept yes. in those communities yes. um a lot of people are excited by that the other thing then i guess is just that the conservative party literally has never spoken to majority of young people mm. Mm. like ever <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't remember the conservative party ever being good no. with young people it
1: it it seems to me that the if you just look at the age structure of the conservative party it's on the way out really mm. And that, um, I mean, um, it is a party of older people, and it's, with few exceptions, it's really seriously out of touch with younger people, and a party which gets into that, and it's very difficult to pull itself out of that, and I can't see that there's going to be much left in the Conservative Party in 20 years' time.
0: And that's bad, because you need both. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and you we, need we a strong...
1: We certainly need some alternative party. It looks as though there's going to ha- have to be some kind of regrouping. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the Labour Party is split into sort of Corbynistas and others, and the Conservative Party is split into pro and anti-Europe. Yeah. Um, and the... Um, Lib Dems, I'm a Lib Dem myself. I think trying to hold a sensible middle ground, but it's not a very popular position at no. the moment. Mm. In this polarised society that we live in, holding the middle ground is not going to be appealing to many people.
0: Well, we have the benefit of having multiple parties. Yeah. That the Americans don't have. Yes. They just have the two and the independents. Mm. So we have that benefit, but we need strong parties. Yes. Because that's. Then the government is held to account to what they Mm. do because Mm. we have Prime Minister's Question Time, which Mm. again Mm. the the Americans don't have. Yes. So we have an opposition that can call the current government on the things that they're doing or not doing. Yes. And if there's argument within the Labour Party and there's argument within the Conservative Party, certain questions won't be asked, certain points, yes, because you refuse to support Corbyn, so you won't ask. You won't help him ask these questions, or you do support Corbyn, so you refuse to listen to the (laughs) others who are giving you these points to ask Theresa May. So then eventually the government doesn't get to justify what they're doing, and they kind of do what they like. Yes, And if either side do what they like, it's chaos, I think.
1: I think it's a really valuable part of our democracy that our leaders have to interact with the House of Commons on a regular basis. And And anyone can just watch it for free, BBC Parliament. And and most of the time it doesn't really change anything, but there are some moments in the House of Commons that really change things, and yeah. they they can be very dramatic.
0: Yeah, I used to put it on during the day if I was doing just around the house, so mm, I'd occasionally mm. glance at it, and there'd yes. be maybe three people in the chamber because yes. it was a slow day or whatever it was, not yes. anything super important. Yes. But occasionally, and they're the moments that make the news. Yes. It would be you know the opposition. You know, Ed Miliband really having a go at the coalition or whatever yes. it was.
1: Um, well, it, it can sometimes be even inside your own party. I yeah, think so uh, And that's important. And, uh, I, I think I think one of the most dramatic moments in my lifetime in the House of Commons it was towards the end of Mrs Thatcher's time. Um, her Foreign Secretary Geoffrey Howe resigned. Yeah, and uh, it's a famous resignation yeah. speech he made in the House of Commons. And Mrs Thatcher, by convention, had to be there to listen to it and. And she was. And Geoffrey Howe was a very mild-mannered guy. And it started very gently, but it gradually ratcheted up. And even though the tone and style remained very mild, uh, it became absolutely devastating. Yeah, so that's a very British thing as well. Yes, it is. And and you could see Margaret Thatcher's sort of body language change as the speech went up and I think she was registering uh, this may be it for me, I may not survive this.
0: It's perfect that <laughs> the Prime Minister has to go through that. Yes. Because it means there's checks and balances. Yes. In some way, it's not, it, the government might not be representative but in at least at a surface level it yes. can be held to account. Yes. And hopefully even deeper than that sometimes it can be yes. held to account. Yes. The Americans don't have that luxury. Um. But yeah, it's, it's generally, it's not held to account yeah. generally, is it if yeah. everyone's on the same team?
1: I think one of the finest bits in that speech was um, using a cricketing metaphor, which again is very yes, British. Yeah. And Geoffrey Howe was t- talking about going going out to bat for his country uh, and often finding that his bat had been broken by the team captain even before he got onto the field.
0: Right, so that yeah, that's, yeah. I'm sure the opposition loved that speech <laughs> yes. at the time. Yeah. Yes yes anyway
1: she went soon after that yeah she didn't survive it
0: yeah but it's those moments that sort of bring people back into politics yes yeah. but then you know if you dive deep into any politics you you find the money train and that sort of throws you back out of thinking there's literally what's the point because whatever i do there's the expression, uh, whoever I vote for, it doesn't matter because the government's going to yes. win. Yes. You know, whoever I vote for, the government gets in. So, you know, it's the money.
1: And uh, I think that's a, that feeling, w- w- what we vote for doesn't make any difference, was a significant factor in the referendum. mm mm-hmm. And it's a problem with our parliamentary constituencies that there are a lot of constituencies where people feel how they vote doesn't make any difference because that constituency is so solidly Labour or Conservative. That's like Coventries, solidly that, um, Labour. Individual votes don't make any difference. So I think the referendum was um, a rare opportunity for everyone to vote in a way that made a difference. Made a difference yeah. and, uh, and I think some people kind of... Um, Delighted in that opportunity, and I think that may have been one of the factors to, uh, that led them to vote in a anti-establishment way, even if it wasn't in their best long-term interests.
0: That's another issue lots of people have with the system: that it is, you know, if millions of people from one constituency vote for Labour in London, mm. so central London tends to hit Labour. Yes, but the villages on the outside, where there's more wealth, yes, have much lower populations for each constituency yes but vote conservative but that means the same amount of seats yes so like 2 million people and 200 people mm. is equal yes yes but that doesn't make any sense to me no. whatsoever no. it makes no sense
1: um, I'm a supporter of parliamentary democracy, not sure if you are, but I am, uh, but um, I, th- I think it needs to be reformed yeah. so that everyone's vote makes it a difference. It means the same amount, yeah. Yeah, and there are different ways of doing that, but multi-member constituencies will be one way of doing it. Sort of larger constituencies where you have several members, and so the various strands of opinion all get represented in okay. proportionally. You need some system like that, so everyone feels their vote makes a difference yeah if you don't have that then parliamentary democracy really breaks down yeah and that's the problem that's why the voter
0: turnout has been so low before the referendum yeah yeah. obviously the referendum was quite a good turnout Mm. in terms of how many people voted yeah uh, which is why it's scary that it was so close Mm. Mm. even still because Mm. then you know the country's not really decided Mm. But um, but yeah I mean voter turnout is low for that reason people don't feel and the ages of the voters. Mm. There'll be eighteen-year-olds that vote because they're happy they can now vote. Mm. But after that, there's not very much until the thirties and forties. There's not too many yes. people in their twenties voting. Yes. For that reason, it's not representative. Yes. And they think, I live in Coventry. What's the point? Mm. Yes. It's going to be Labour. Or if I live in what if I live in a Conservative village? What's the mm. point? Mm. You know, mm. I vote. It's going to mean nothing mm. because mm. the seat is always going to be Conservative.
1: We have to change that.
0: Yeah, people won't be engaged with politics until mm. that's mm. until that's different. Yeah.
1: Something else that's changing, I think, is that organized religion has less impact on how society runs than yeah. it used to, and there are pros and cons in that. I mean, I've never been in favor of a kind of theocracy where, where clerics sort of run, run the political system. I think that's open to a lot of abuse. But I think there have been some in the, in, in the past some fine examples of uh, religious leaders who've had a really helpful influence on the political process and um in margaret thatcher's years to come back to her i think the um um uh labour party wasn't going through a particularly strong phase and there were and there were and there were times i think when church leaders were providing a more effective opposition to margaret thatcher than the labour party was mm. uh, particularly um uh, a bishop of Durham who was very close to the miners in that area and and an articulate uh, exponent of their point of view yeah it's just my my thing is just then how representative is that now um i think it doesn't happen anymore i yeah. mean it, it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a different world i think um where um church leaders can um say things that have an impact that politicians don't want to hear. And uh, one of the last examples of that was, I think, the Thanksgiving service in St. Paul's Cathedral for having won the Falklands War. And um, Robert Runcie, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, um... made a point of expressing concern for those who'd lost their lives on both sides and was very pointed about that and Margaret Thatcher was furious about it
0: because of his political yes her, yes yeah.
1: yes, I mean she she wanted a sort of single-minded. This is our victory. She didn't want any 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 compassion for the people who'd lost their lives on the other side. But Runcie was not having that. I mean, it was it was a Thanksgiving service. He was in the pulpit. He could say what he liked, and he did.
0: Yeah, I like that because that's how it should be. It should mm. never be. You know, we won the war, therefore. Yes. will just mourn mm. the soldiers that I mean All it's just luck that you're born on this patch of dirt and not that patch of yes. dirt yes so you know if someone's killed why fighting for whatever yes
1: and there's a there's a sort of um, bonds of friendship across humanity that sort of transcend um, um, what country you live in who you're fighting for yeah um,
0: and there's the honour among thieves as well. Yes. So the soldiers would would honour each other in in a similar way, yes. and that's the whole Christmas Day football match in yeah. World yes. War One. That that thing.
1: That's right, and uh, some of that comes out very poignantly in the uh, the war poets from the First World War. I think, and
0: they understand that the other side is the same as them. Yeah, just from yeah. a different patch.
1: That's right. My favorite is a poem called "Strange Meeting" by Wilfred Owen, where um uh two dead soldiers from opposite sides sort of meet after death, and one says to the other, "I am the enemy you killed my friend mm. it's a very poignant one, yeah,
0: yeah, and it's yeah, so maybe you know religious leaders have a role in that, but I don't know, I think that should be the politician's role yes to yes. ground the events that have happened in some sort of truth and what what has happened here is you know these people have lost their lives yes because of this and these innocent people have been affected and this many families and
1: I completely agree that ought to be the politician's role, but I think it, It in, in the past, I don't think this could really happen in the same way now. In the past, it has sometimes been helpful to have uh, religious leaders who remind politicians of the moral compass that they're forgetting.
0: So maybe now, now sort of organized religion is on the decline mm. as it is. Maybe now it's the public intellectual's job. Yeah, yes. Or, I mean, in, in America, athletes, Basketball players specifically, actually, have been speaking out mm. political, politically, yes. and about racial issues. Yes, uh, Colin Kaepernick in the NFL has been mm. kneeling for the national mm. anthem to draw mm. attention to mm. police brutality. Yes, uh, LeBron James and Kevin Durant talked about um, Donald Trump mm. and the rise of nationalism, mm. and were told by the right-wing media to just shut up and dribble, which mm. was actually a phrase mm. uttered at athletes in the 40s and the 50s when they wanted to change in the same locker rooms as their mm. white teammates mm. they were told to just shut up and play basketball mm. and not mm. use their platform yeah so it's there's a replacement maybe for those yes. religious figures in in mm. athletes mm. or in celebrities or in yes. musicians whatever public intellectuals
1: yes and we need um we need um Public intellectuals, public leaders with a moral compass, wherever we can find them, I think. Uh, there just aren't enough.
0: Yeah, and it's our job as a public, I guess, to yes. hold them accountable to yeah. that. And yes. To be the moral compass when they're not, mm. which is quite often, yes. unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And uh, I mean, it, it's um, not an easy thing, but in, in, in retirement, I write more blogs than I used to and uh, yeah. make my little contribution to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how can how can people find your blog if they want to?
1: Um, I I I can I I I can send you a link. But if they if if they look up Fraser Watts thoughts, then they will find and the
0: site. Sort of a moral compass on yes. the world and how yes. things are going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for coming. Mm. Mm. Um, it was a really good talk. Actually, we should definitely do this again. Yeah. Because uh, could go on forever, I think.
1: Yes, <laughs> and we haven't talked about anomalous experience. I know so we, we haven't even got no. to
0: psychology. Same thing happened with Chris, Chris yes. Rowe. Actually, we yes. talked about other stuff. We never even got yes. to parapsychology yes. or yes. anything. So,
1: there. so, uh, so uh, and, uh, but uh, um, it'll be fun talking about anomalous experience. So let's yeah, do we'll, it again. We'll and do that for, for the yes. second time, yeah. part two.
0: Yes. Thank you very much. It's yes. been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you uh, if you enjoyed it, you can support in a number of ways. Just you know, getting other people to listen, likes, shares. You could leave a review on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Review on iTunes if you're on the podcast. It helps with rankings and uh, to get more people listening to the podcast. More draw. Means you know, I can have more guests and do these more often. So I enjoy doing them, and uh, yeah, you can also support uh, by sharing, or you can support financially if you choose to. If you go to trapidemic.com and follow the Patreon link, or go onto Patreon and just search for Trapidemic podcast, you can pledge. Support the podcast that way If you want Podcast will always remain Free To those that Want it uh, But if you wish to support you can it's Not for any financial gain for myself It's It would all be to, to Developing the podcast And growing the show And uh, hopefully hiring a A student To do to, to audio engineering Or and promotion and hiring whatever and, and paying guests travel and all that cool stuff but uh yeah thank you for your support and thank you for listening